Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Plan Academy is the world's leading learning site for anyone working in construction, project management, or project controls. At Plan Academy, you learn construction, planning, and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced construction scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and at your own pace. You can learn at the office, at site, from home, anywhere. Check out planacademy.com today for free sample lessons and tons of free video. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by justdo.com. Justdo is a great business and project management tool we've been using here at Project Chatter. I agree, Val. I like to keep things simple and Justdo is perfect for that. But I do know it's got a lot of powerful functionality as well. And one of my favorites is the task-specific chat. Absolutely. And for all you slackers, don't wait for Monday. Check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. Hello, project people, and welcome to a very exciting Project Chatter podcast today. I'm Val Matthews, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dale Fung. Hey, Val. Extremely exciting today. Definitely, mate. Definitely. I think we've been looking forward to this since the end of season one is how do you get best of minds together? And I think we've done a good job at doing that. And thanks for everyone's time today. Um, But today is about a guest panel and debate. The debate is unknown, and we'll get into the details in a second. And the season one guests who have shared their time will be split into two teams, our for and against team. The guests have no prior knowledge of the team they're in or the topic they'll be discussing. Now, before I hand over to Dale for the intros of each guest, um, I would like to say as well, these topics are relevant. So we get a lot of questions and submissions from uh, followers and fans and, and people interested in project controls, PM project management. Um, and these are very relevant topics for today. Um, so I'll hand over to Dale for an intro to our guests. Thanks, Val. Uh, so just a quick intro. Uh, I'll go around to each guest and just uh, mention which team are in. So I'll start with the green team. So four team members in the green team. First up, Al Simonites. Al is the MD of the Advanced Consultancy. And Al's uh, episode was episode 13, predominantly around leadership and behaviors. So welcome, Al. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Looking forward to the challenge. Thanks very much, Al. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next in the green team is Marco Fresenda. Marco is the head of planning at TFL, and he was he joined us on episode 18, and it was predominantly around planning. Hello, Marco. Hello. Very excited and curious to see the topics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Thanks for joining. Uh, team member number three in the green team is Andy Morgan. Andy is the director or a director at First Co. Uh, and Andy joined us for episode 15. Uh, Andy spoke about marginal gains, but who can forget this uh, Guinness World Record holder? Hello, Andy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. No, you're very welcome. Chirag Shah is the fourth team member of the green team. Chirag is uh, project services at TRS Staffing Solutions. And Chirag joined us on episode 24. You spoke about CVs and recruitment, and this one created quite a buzz. How are you doing, Chirag? Good, thanks. Uh, looking forward to this. 
Great. Fantastic. Thanks for joining us. So that's the green team. So don't forget, you're in the green team, guys. That's Al, Marco, Andy, and Chirag. You still don't know the topics and you still don't know whether you're for or against the topic. So <laughs> that will all come. Uh, the gold team. So starting off the gold team, team member number one, Paul Googe, uh MD of Paul Googe Associates. Uh, that's all of you, Paul. And you joined us for episode 21. You spoke about P3M, adaptive leadership, and many other um, strands and went down many rabbit holes. How are you doing? Really good. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy I've got a gold medal rather than the green one. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Michael Lepage, founder of Plan Academy, episode 20, all about P6 and online learning. How are you doing, Michael? Thanks for joining us. Hey, I, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, I, I just got to say, since I'm on the gold team, it feels like we've won already. Oh, <laughs> nice. Team member number three, Alberto Sanchez, head of planning for Multinational Group. Uh, episode 23 is where you join us, Alberto. And you spoke a lot about working abroad in various uh, countries and all the cultural differences. And I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Uh, how are you doing today? Yeah, very good. Thank you for the invitation again. It will be good to be against Marco. My, my close friend. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Oh. <laughs> Great. Fantastic, Alberto. So we've got a range of uh, folks from all over the world. I think we span North America all the way to Australasia, including mm -hmm. Europe, London, etc. Yeah. So that, that's truly amazing. And we also have a couple of uh, listeners who have joined us as well and got some listener questions at the end. Um, but yeah, so that's the green team and the gold team. Uh, just the fourth team member or members for the gold team, because we're slightly uh, odd at the moment with numbers, is myself and Val, who will uh, join, um, we'll, we'll take turns to join the gold team just to make it four, four team members each. Uh, and if you're curious about Val and I, my episode's episode 10 and Val's episode is episode four. Um, so go ahead and have a listen to that. So without further ado, now that we know which teams we're in, I'm going to hand to Val to take us straight into the first topic. All right, gentlemen, I bet you can't wait. Okay. Uh, so before we do, there is a few ground rules. Um, obviously, uh, I will be moderating this subject, so I won't be involved. Um, I'll do my best to avoid uh, inhibiting your flow. And um, I do hope that we can keep it clean. I was thinking about a sound that I'd use to kind of give you a 30-second prompt. I'm thinking like, would be enough. Um, but I might give you a hand wave as well. Um, and I have to be really rude. I might just go, okay, stop. But um, I will give you a bit of a prompt that your time's running out so you can finish your statement uh, before the next person. So we will go back and forth, for and against, uh, green and gold in that order. Um, again, thanks for having your time. If Again, at the end, once everyone's had their first turn, we will have time for um, rebuttal or response. And then you'll have one more crack at the whip, if you like, one more statement. Um, try and keep it to one. Um, let's get ready to rumble. Uh, keep it clean at all times. Remember, have fun and enjoy yourselves. So, are we ready for the first topic? Drum roll. I, Go for it. So, Dale gave me three choices, right? And to be honest, you know, I picked the one I like the most, but I thought would also carry a lot of interest because it's a, it's talked about a lot. So, the first topic is more automation and AI is needed in project management processes. More automation and AI is needed in project management processes. So the team for this statement is the green team. The team against this statement is the gold team. 
when I mean for, your for automation and AI, and against is against automation and AI. So whether your personal preference is for or against is neither neither, but it'll be a great discord and debate either way. I'm really looking forward to this. Okay, so more automation and AI is needed in project management processes. We're going to start with green and we're going for, and we're starting with Al. Al, your time starts when you're ready, mate. I knew you were going to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to the opportunity to debating something against Mr. Gooch for once. Ah. <laughs> I can see his, his, his delight. So for automation in project control processes, I think one of the key points for me about automation, and you can stop putting your thumb down, Paul. You'll get your chance. Aging, <laughs> <laughs> starting early. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The uh, the key principle is single source of truth, isn't it? And single source of information. So we're looking at creating that single source of truth. Anything we can do to generate that in a in a more coherent, in a more structured, in a simpler way through automation, through da- automated data gathering, I think would exactly be where we should be going. I think the the uh, without without sort of jumping to the side of the argument myself, I think we've got to be careful about where that data is interpreted. Um, but the point about automation of processes is you can do things repeatedly, uh, simpler, quicker. Uh, you can free up then intellect for it to be deployed where it's needed, which is you know in the analysis and and the decision making. I think for me the argument for automation in project control is is straightforward and simple. It's about creating a sim- single source of truth and a single, clear, understood baseline of information that everyone can reference and use. And I don't think at this point, you know, despite what Mr. Mr. Goose might say and, and just dis- 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 gesticulate even on the video, um, that's the argument. That's the argument. It's clear and simple. Thank you, Al. Um, flipping over now to the gold team, the against more automation and AI is Mr. Paul. As ever, I respect all the points that Al's made. However... <laughs> um so yeah really good choice of question definitely um i guess picking up on you know, not not just the semantics of it but needed how much is it needed and i think from what i heard from al was talking about you no know, single source of truth and i think there are some aspects of p3m in perhaps in the uh, the less complex world where there are certain benefits to be gained from efficient and effective introduction of AI. But my concern would be the more we move up um, the complexity scale, it's kind of hard to model this, this, uh, this stuff that we're talking about. And too often, I think we find ourselves with <clears throat> solutions looking for a problem. So here I am, I've got a database, I've got some AI. <clears throat> this is going to fix <clears throat> what the problem is. And we're not even sure what the problem is, but we know this is the answer. And with complex programs, they're continually evolving. And we have a huge amount of human interaction. And I'm not sure we've got the skills to actually really model that in, uh, in the AI world. And I think the thing that compounds the problem for me in all of this is we're not careful. We use um, automation. We use the technology that we have. And whereas in the old days, we used to spend time real time with people, understanding them, having a very dynamic interaction. If we're not careful, we just use this stuff to communicate at people rather than with people. <clears throat> we substitute effective communication with a simple transmission and believe that because we've got the AI, <clears throat> we got the technology, we can, as demonstrated right now, bring people together around the world. 
regardless of their nationalities and their, their primary language skills. We don't think through the implications of all that, and we have a rather one-size-fits-all um, approach, which I don't think is sufficiently nuanced. And that's a big danger for me. Yep. Thanks, Paul. And moving to green for more automation and AI, we have Marco. Marco? Very well. This is a very interesting question also because there was already a debate in LinkedIn and, for, and I'm finding myself a little bit in the middle, but in this moment I'm going for the four. <laughs> so uh, I, think, I think that the automation and the IA, IA is, is important because obviously the, the amount of data that we have in this moment is tremendous. I mean, with all the, with all the technology and so on, we have an incredible amount of data. And obviously, if we are then skilled somehow, skilled enough to use this data in the correct way, I think it's an incredible advantage. We can do things much faster, which before was needing much more time to, to gather information and other things, and now they are basically at your fingertips. So I think it's all correct what was said up until now on the single source of truth, on the fact that there are obviously certain... Uh, certain you have to have some cautious, obviously, when you take the data, because we see many times that we just take the data and we dump it and we think that everything is perfect. Uh, you know, it's always the same, uh, the same, uh, the same thing of uh, if you put rubbish in, it comes rubbish out. So sometimes you have also to be, to be able to, to gather the correct information. But if you do that, automation and AI, I think has the potential. I, I don't think in this moment we are at that point, but has the potential to make the, the work much, much faster and leaner compared to before. Um, and can help also start to look at other metrics, which up until now, due to the fact of much more human interaction and so on, you couldn't do. So uh, I think it's a, it's a good thing, uh, but obviously with a little bit of cautious to make sure that you still put your skill set while analyzing all this information which are coming out. I would, uh, that would be my position for the four. For the four. Mm -hmm. Did you have any other statements? No, I mean, uh, to, to me, I must admit, uh, I'm, I find myself a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, in difficulty because, because for me, the, I, I always say that, in, you know, all these uh, technology processes, everything automated is a great thing to make the work leaner and faster. But at the same time, I recognize that the skill set that you need in order to be able to analyze this data and extrapolate the correct ones is probably the, 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 the pain point in all, in all this. So if you have this, I think it's a great thing. Thanks, Marco. Um, Thanks for you. With uh, going now gold against more automation and AI, we have Alberto. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about artificial intelligence. You're talking to somebody that all would have fight with Siri because never recognized my accent. So I'm, I'm not really a big fan of AI. <laughs> Uh, so my daughters always make fun about my accent anyway. So um, so something that I found with about you know artificial intelligence all this is it, it really depends on what is the stage of the project that you are. Okay, so I'm, I think that when you are in the, in the early stage of the project where you need people with experience and you need to make you know decisions with very limited information, that's dangerous to use these sort of tools on this sort of process, okay? So how many times we have been in projects that we need to make decisions with possibly no information, okay? So and we need to decide, well, you know, depending on the size of the plant or depending on, you know, on the size of the asset that you're going to build, how long do you think that it's going to, to take us to build this or what are the risks? And it's all about experience, okay? So I think that's the...
dangerous that to do something like this at the early stage project when you need to, to decide you know, what is the best option. What is good about AI is that it, it helps to process information quicker so people can make decisions quicker. Okay? But I wouldn't replace experience with AI. I think that it's also dangerous in companies without sufficient historical data. So, you know, if you're trying to make reference to historical data and you only have built one project of this size or one project of this type of project only once, are you going to make decisions based on only one project? We can plan a job, you know, and we can plan a project just based on historical data, you know, from international companies. Yeah, but every company had their own process and have their own tools, you know. And I remember just having this conversation with Marco many times when we worked together, you know, in Korea. And we say, you know, you're never going to have a tool that is going to, to make a schedule for you. You know, you really need to have somebody just to input information. And even if you spell out something out of any tool, you need to take this back and say, does it make sense? So that's what I think that, you know, AI, you know, I don't think that it's going to replace, you know, project managers. Thank you for your time, Alberto. And now we are moving to Green 4, which is for more, more automation and AI with Andy. Okay, well, uh, as someone with a background in automation engineering, I've kind of got a vested interest in this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and honestly, I think it gives me a bit of an insight. You know, the, the automation of project management processes, project management tools uh, will follow a very similar path to the automation of, of, of engineering and production and, uh, and manufacturing processes. Um, and the things we've learned from that that are relevant here, and I think one of the things that's, that's come out already is uh, in this discussion is uh, people are talking about automation and AI replacing project management, project managers and project management processes. That's not how it will be. Automation hasn't replaced work in factories and work in manufacturing. It's, it's another operator in the room. It's, it's something that works alongside people. It changes the roles that people do, but it doesn't make people obsolete. And that's what we're going to see in, in project management processes as well. Um, AI will be a decision support tool. It won't be a replacement project manager. Um, you're not going to automate the producing of schedules or producing of budgets. You're going to have, uh, have far more sophisticated tools that enable you to make those decisions in a far more uh, confident and robust and, and, uh, and data-driven manner. Um, what automation gives us uh, throughout the world is consistency. Um, you know, when, when things went to, to production lines instead of handmade artisan products, you get exactly the same level of quality out, for better or worse, but exactly the same level of quality out. So you know what's coming, you know what's next, you know what each one's going to look like. Uh, you don't get good batches and bad batches. Uh, and that's what we'll see as a benefit in project management, that uh, things will become more repeatable, more consistent, more um, uh, more similar from project to project. You know, The outputs will be more, uh, more, more guaranteed. We know what's coming. We know how long things will take. We know what the, the report is going to look like. Automation just makes makes that a, a lot more consistent and a lot a lot uh, easier to predict. AI, on the other hand, will 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 provide that support in the more uh, unusual situations, the more bespoke situations. Uh, AI has a far superior capacity than people or does already, and certainly will as time goes on to to find insights, to dig into data. That the bigger the project, the larger the database, the larger the and the wide more, the more widespread the um, the source of data. Uh, AI is going to be able to dig in and find that information, provide the insights, spot the risks early, um, look for comparables, find uh, f- find find data in, in in history that 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 provides a better quality of information now. Um, again, like the automation, it's going to be more repeatable. People are prone to error. People have good days and bad days. 
um, when when I'm sure some of you must have been on projects that get stressful from time to time, uh, and perhaps you're not you're not thinking at your best. And AI will will consistently perform in those difficult situations. It'll help you when when you need help, when um, when your back's against the wall, when uh, when everything's you know when you're putting out fires left, right, and centre. AI will consistently, reliably, repeatedly give you the information you need, give you the options, tell you what's going on, calm the room down a little bit. It's uh, it's another member of the project team, and it's going to be one of the most valuable members but it's not going to replace anybody. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks, Andy, there. Uh, now moving to against, we have in the gold team, Michael, against more automation in AI. AI sorry. Okay. Thanks, guys. Um, so I want to first start by just clearing up the argument a little bit. So more automation in AI is needed in PM processes. And I, I'm going to ask kind of like, to what end? What are we after? Why do we need more AI? Why do we need more automation. And I can only infer that it's probably to deliver on time and on budget, right? That's our, that's our mantra here in project management, deliver on time and on budget. But I think actually that mantra of on time and on budget is the one that screws us up all the time already. So I don't, I really think that AI, you know, more AI and more automation is just a Band-Aid slap on and avoiding the other issues we have in project management. And I think Paul hinted at that. And so let, let's talk a little bit about like AI. The other problem is AI is this really big nebulous term that we throw around. We don't really know what it is. And actually, I didn't really know what it was until um, my, my kid's doing this coding course. And he wrote this simple little program about like, uh, where you could type in a, a question like how tall is an owl? And this thing would answer owls on average are uh, whatever, you know, a foot, 12 inches tall. And I was like, well, where did it get, how did it know that? Where did it get the data? Cause he wrote like four lines of code. And I said, well, where did it get the data? And it was able to just go off to the internet somewhere. Like, I don't know where, but it just was able to use a single source of data, which is something Al mentioned, and pull back an answer and display the answer. And so I think that this is, this is interesting, but an AI can learn based on how that data grows and changes, right? So it can change its answer. It's not a consistent answer that there's a database somewhere that says owls are six inches. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, so... What what I think about when I think about AI is that it's able to learn. And I don't think we're anywhere near providing AI a single source of data. Um, Marco, you mentioned that we have tremendous data. We absolutely have tremendous data in project management. But a lot of it's crap. And a lot of it is very set up in incredibly inconsistent manners. I know because I look at people's schedules and review schedules. Um, we have uh, we generate a lot of crappy schedules because we have people from all different levels of experience. We there's no way we create schedules in a consistent way that we can create a consistent database that we can pull and use AI um, in in a proper manner. That's my opinion. I think we just I think we have data, but I think it's just it's really messed up because we don't we don't work in a consistent way. 
every project's different. We define our activities in a different way. We don't have consistent WBSs. We don't have consistency anywhere in that data. So I don't, I personally don't think we should be work, working on AI and trying to use that data. I think that data is skewed and messed up from the start. Um, I think this is, you know, working on AI and automation. I think it's a bandaid over some of the bigger issues that we should be focusing on. And it's the, you know, on time and on budget. And as soon as we get into this kind of on time and on budget, where I'm always disappointed is like, we should all be working together on time and on budget, but there's so, especially in North America, I know you guys are all, all over the place, but in North America and especially in the U S we have such a, there's such a com competition and there's such a litigious uh, relationship and the dynamic between owners and contractors are often, you know, they're at odds with each other. They're at odds with each other from the start. I don't think AI is going to help us there. Um, I, I would love to see, you know, I would love to see more lean processes. Let's get rid of waterfall. Let's get rid of waterfall planning. Let's plan the whole project from, from six months before we break ground and we'll know exactly what's going to happen. We got to get rid of that. We got to move to lean processes so that we can do iterative methods so we can be better. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I don't think we are anywhere near close to having AI. In fact, you know, in the software world, it's only been in the last, I'm going to say three years that we've started to see some tools that were actually interested in our, in using existing data and, and pulling out existing data from old projects, historical projects and making that better. So I, I think we have such a freaking far way to go before we can create learning models and, and have consistency. Uh, the benefits are coming later. Um, we're warming everyone up to it, so that's good. We're going to get another round in. Um, thanks, Michael, for your feedback. And uh, green for Chirag, um, semi-last or last for the green team at least. Your four or more automation and AI. Well, thanks. Um, I think Andy put it quite uh, concisely and efficiently. Um, the benefits of AI and automation are consistency, lack of mistakes, and efficiency. We'll start creating that good data and that will develop over time but it will stay consistent again a lot of us have worked on jvs different people have different ideas if you're working on it, if there's one process in place for automation then there's no arguments on that side it will be that's how it is um, also um, from this way you get a deeper understanding of your customers if i'm uh, you know, trying to using the human element to find out about someone, it takes a long time. You do it for automation, you find out so much information about your client uh, or customers. Um, if you're in a factory, uh, HSC, you know, less chance of any incidences if it's all automated using robots, for example. Um, from a recruitment perspective, I'd say, how do we make our sector attractive? How are we bringing in the next generation? We carry on doing things the way we are. Um, you know, I don't see us attracting the next gen. But uh, if we're using automation, AI, making it attractive, making our industry a bit more sexy, then, you know, it's going to attract those people to come over. I think the future, I think this has been discussed in previous pods as well, is project controls. It's not going to be how it is today. It's, the future is going to be data interpreters. So, yeah, they will need to know how to load a plan from scratch, but it's more about 
how do you interpret this data? You know, and most of that's going to be stored in a cloud. Um, COVID has certainly accelerated the way we work. So this is the next step naturally where we'll go. Um, so yeah, I'll be a bit short and sweet on that side. I think a lot of the arguments would have been covered. Thanks. Thanks, Gerag. Appreciate that. Right, and lucky last for gold, uh, bringing the home team stretch, is it Mr. Dale himself. Uh, gold is against against more automation and AI. Dale, time starts now, mate. Thanks, Val. And um, I don't know how much more I can add to what Paul, Alberta, and Michael have already said, but let me give it a go. For me, AI and humans, key difference is emotions, feeling, right? How do you replicate that in AI? How do you motivate someone to actually do the work? AI can't feel what you're feeling, can't feel what it's feeling. It doesn't have feelings. We're not there yet. Secondly, for me, if, you look, if you're talking about project management processes and automation, um, today you work with a lot of PMs, PMO, people, engineers. They don't understand the current processes we've got in place. So how can we even introduce more? Um, so we haven't even set a baseline where everyone's at the same level. So how can we take them to the next? So for me, it's not about looking to the future and going, yes, there's fantastic technology out there and we can go ahead and grasp it and bring it in and automate everything. But surely we should getting, be getting people up to a baseline today and saying, guys, this is how we should be doing things today. Isn't this where we're at? And then from there, we can leap forward together because working across various industries various uh, sizes of projects, complexities in organizations, uh, you have different levels of maturity. Um, one project manager has a totally different level of experience and skill set to the next project manager. Um, and so project management just becomes a title. Project controls just becomes a title. So for me, it's about getting people up to that level playing field first and then moving on uh, into the future. So do we need more right now? Right now? No, we need to get, get everyone to where we're at. Um, and key to it as well is AI doesn't deliver projects. People deliver projects, right? Um, so unless we're going to become a factory, unless we can automate things where you, and I know you do get them, um, but in huge mega infrastructure projects, do you get these um, automated bricklayers? Do you, do, you, do you get all of these uh, automated designers? Um, Perhaps, but I don't think it's good enough. Um, and yeah, I, again, uh, you know, my team that have already won gold, um, <laughs> that have gone before me, um, has, has said it all. So um, I'm going to leave it there and then I'm going to leave a bit of time for, for the rebuttal. Well, thanks, Dale. Uh, you haven't won gold yet. That's just a team color, <laughs> just to, for uh, clarification there. Uh, thanks for everyone's responses. Obviously, it's, it's not an easy subject and you all have compelling views. And I'm going to give you all the opportunity, if you so will accept, uh, to summarize your statement as clearly as possible, please, for the listeners. Um, but if you don't, if you feel like you've said enough for this particular topic, you can just pass. Um, so I'll go through the teams and the individuals now. Uh, green for Al. Very, very interesting listening to the, the debate going to and fro. And I think there's been an element of both sides talking up the other side to some extent. I think that just reflects the, the difficulty of this subject. I think three points I'd like to make. One is the difference between AI and automation. I think they're very distinct elements and tackling them separately, I think is important. Andy talked a lot about automation of manufacturing processes and the translation of that into project management. I think that's absolutely critical. Um, 
but for me it's because it allows the intellectual capacity that we talk about in project management to do the things that it's there to do which is make decisions and inform and act in that um, ambiguous and, and uh, volatile environment so i absolutely do believe that there should be automation in the right place within the project management environment i think you know using dell's argument on the other side to my own advantage here he talked about the emotional use of people and human capital i think absolutely but there are times when human capital and emotions can work against us so when we're talking about gathering data understanding what the facts are and if ever there's time to talk about the, the value of facts in, in in society then it's now and play that out into our projects so i think the, the use of automation and processes to understand data to gather data and you know, how many of you you people who've worked in project control jobs over the, the years have just bitched and moaned about the amount of time you're translating data from one spreadsheet to another to this system to another why wouldn't you want to automate that why wouldn't you want to make that process simpler to allow you the time to do what project control is about which is analyzing and making decisions so i think yeah there is of course you know two sides to every argument and we, we can't take away the, the need for humans to be involved in projects it's a complex it's a um, ambiguous it's a volatile environment and that's where the human intellect the human brain comes in but of the things that you can simplify and you can operate or, or automate why wouldn't you yeah and just to clarify your three points there could you just finalize those for us so I think it's the um, the separation of automation and AI, and I think my argument is very much around the automation, um, and the fact that there is a, a need to separate out um, the human element and the automatic element, so data gathering, and the fact that all, the third point and the, the the summarizing point is why wouldn't want, why wouldn't you want to automate and simplify that real drudge of data gathering and data correlation and and transferring data between systems. So it's kind of an open question to the audience. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Appreciate that. Uh, now working against in the gold team, we have Paul. Paul, did you have anything else to respond? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I think I've heard arguments um, about consistency and efficiency, points like that. And now I remember my time on projects when I had some team members who were very consistent. That was rather the problem. Um, they could very efficiently get to um, the wrong answer. And the greatest bit of software we have on any program is that which we've all got within our own heads. So I said earlier that um, I think we're, if we're not careful, now that we've got a, a solution here that's looking for a problem. And I think Michael was saying about, you know, have we been articulate enough about what the problem is? So when we talk about, and I take Al's um, um, distinction between automation and AI, but one of the things that's holding back the progress of AI and um, the natural evolution, which I think I heard somebody say, is at the moment, do we trust driverless cars to rely, <clears throat> to rely on AI to work out which road sign they should be looking at? <clears throat> to be working out <clears throat> whether they can be trusted not to run over pedestrians. Um, one of my other passions, as some of you know, is music. When we get AI to try and recreate music or poetry, <clears throat> does it look, does it sound right? It doesn't. And is that what we're going to entrust a multi-billion pound program to? <clears throat> so if we're not careful, so we know what G-I-G-O, we know what GIGO stands for, <clears throat> garbage in, gospel out. 
And here's the danger. <clears throat> we're going to use AI to come up with lots of stuff <clears throat> and we're going to get seduced by the technology because it's consistent, because it's efficient, because it's natural evolution, and therefore the answer at the bottom right must be correct. But I think we're in grave danger of taking the human element out of it, the greatest bit of software ourselves, and replacing it with a solution for a problem we haven't articulated. Thanks very much, Paul. I appreciate that. Green, four. Uh, we've got Marco. Marco, the time starts. You got anything else to add, mate? So... Uh, I just wanted to say that we are focusing a lot on the processes, automation of this, and just relying on what's coming out. I think there is also potential to be exploited within artificial intelligence. It could actually even help in getting the data a bit more consistent. Are we there yet? Absolutely no. But if we start to have a sort of artificial intelligence which helps us starting to look at the data, cross-check the different information, because many times you just have a couple of... Look at, for example, if you take a CPI and you take an SPI and you look at them in isolation, for example, it doesn't really tell you much. When you start to look at them in conjunction, obviously it starts to give you a little bit more of information. So there are, I think there are some, um, some ways to actually use the artificial intelligence to help us in get, in get this uh, cross-reference of values of parameters which we never thought of, or even starting to have the data a little bit better. So... I think it's, a, it's an opportunity that we, should not, that we should actually really look at and it can be very valuable. Thanks, Marco. Did you want to articulate value just for the, for the listeners? So when you say valuable, did you have that something in mind? Oh, yes. I mean, if, if, if at the end of this exercise, in a sense, of having artificial intelligence helping us in cross-referencing values or KPIs or metrics or whatever, you mm. would be able then to come up probably with a better data set, with the better information and ultimately a better decision making. Thanks, Marco. Appreciate that. Um, Alberto, are you going to let him get away with that? Did you have anything to add? Uh, I think that, you know, we need to go back again to what is the topic? The topic is more AI is needed. So, and, so I think that we need to look again to the three pillars of any project management. It's just process, tools and people. So um, if you're trying to bring more tools without the right process, without the right people, I think it's going to be very dangerous. So um, and I remember just having this conversation, you know, with, with somebody that is really into AI and, you know, and doing automation and everything. And I say, okay, let me ask you something. If you need to have a surgery, you know, a very critical surgery, would you go with the best surgeon or do we go with the best robot? And then you say, well, look, you know, it's a difficult decision sometime during, a, during an operation, you know, you really want to have the best surgeon. Say, well, that's the same when you have a critical project. So you really want to be able to have the technology, but have somebody that really had experience, you know, to, to make the right decision. So that's what I think that the question again, do we need more AI in project management? And I would say, look, how many times we had the same conversation about we can find the planners that they used to be 20 years ago. The planners before, they can actually plan the jobs. Now, the planners are just, you know, P6 operators. So they know how to use the tool, but don't really know how to plan the job. So if we get more tools, you know, we're going to actually going backwards in having people with the right skills. Thanks. Thanks, Alberto. And with the green team four, we have Andy. Andy, did you have anything else to add? 
Sure, yeah, a few things that have kind of been, you know, uh, echoing things that, that, that others have said here. Um, Al quite rightly said automation and AI are two very different things. Uh, in fact, they're almost AI is a second layer of automation. Um, automation is your first step, and then AI is, is how you build on top of that. Uh, but they serve different purposes. Um, I think uh, a few people have made the argument here quite quite reasonably that, you know, uh, garbage in, garbage out. Um, uh, and that's obviously true. But that's already true. That, that, that's not a fault of automation or AI. That's a fault of bad project management. Um, if if you've got garbage in, people will make the wrong decisions on that garbage, not just automation. Um, what automation does is does the things we already do for us. It's not doing things differently. It's doing things on our behalf. Um, it's rule-based. You know, you tell it, if I were to process this data, this is how I process it. If this, then that. And it goes away and does it all for us doesn't do things differently, does exactly what we would do whilst we can get on with the more important things like validating that that data is good in the first place. It creates time and creates capacity to apply the human brain, to apply these valuable tools, these uh, rare assets to, to the parts of the project that really need our attention. Meanwhile, the automation can get on with the donkey work in the background, but it doesn't do anything differently. It does what we tell it to do. AI is the next stage on that where it starts to be able to adapt the rules we give it. It's not just blindly following the rules we've given it. It starts to say, well, maybe I've got a bit of license to if this, then maybe that, or if this, then let's try something new and starts to do things a little bit differently. And that is the emergent technology. That's the thing that you're quite right. We're not all about to jump in a driverless car because we're not quite there yet, but we will be. We're getting there. And the more data it has, the more automation we apply to get quality of data, to cleanse that data, to, to build reliable data sets, the better the AI gets. So to the, to the core question, is more automation and AI needed in PM processes? Yes, yes, because it frees us up to do things. At the moment, we should be concentrating on automation because there's there's no reason not to do that. That just simply frees capacity by doing exactly the same things we would do ourselves on our behalf. It's perhaps a bit soon to be throwing lock, stock, and barrel AI into project management. Um, we are not there yet, but we are getting there. And by using automation, we will get there quicker, and the AI will be able to help us and be far more useful far sooner. Um, if you're working with bad data, your project will fail. That's true whether you're doing it with human element, with, with, with automated element. At some point, you still need the human element, to human element to validate if what you're doing is correct. It's just that you don't need to do it every single step of the way if you automate some of those steps. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's my, my point. <laughs> it was well said. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I was just listening too, too deeply, probably. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, next is Michael. Uh, Michael, do you have anything to add for against on the gold team? <clears throat> well, thank you, Val. Um, <laughs> sometimes you feel like you're on a game show. So we're not working on AI for gardening because we don't really need it. And, and that's kind of the, the thing. Here. We don't really need to be focused on AI uh, right now for project management. We got bigger fish to fry. We should be for working on um, lean we should get rid of waterfall i mean i think that's the elephant in the room why are we why are we trying to plan these multi-year projects out from the start i'm going to decide i'm going to create my baseline schedule for a two or three year multi-billion dollar project and i'm going to do it six months before i i cut ground um but i i really think ai is it's catchy yeah it's sexy chair egg absolutely we're going to attract more people uh, the younger generation to work in here, and and those people should should come and work for us absolutely. But we got bigger fish to fry. I think 
I think bad project management, like you said, Andy, that's that's part of uh, why we have bad data. Yeah, we have bad project management. Let's fix that. Let's get rid of waterfall. Let's figure out a way for owners and contractors um, to work together better. People processes. How can we work on people processes so we're not always in court? We're not always suing each other. How can we you know, spend less time and delay claims? That's where I think those improvements would be much better spent over um, defining AI and creating fancy data and making are not going to improve our processes if we're still doing waterfall, if we're still uh, working the way we're working on the people side. Thanks, Michael. And, uh, and Raga, how about you? Uh, over to you, mate. Thanks. Um, Michael mentioned uh, we have big to, to, to fry that fish, you know, combine it, bring it in together and, and, and create those efficiencies to get rid of your waterfall. Um, I certainly think we can do that. Um, Alberta mentioned we're going backwards if we go use this because people won't know the basics. Why can't we at the beginning train those people in the basics and then arm them with this data that comes on the back of automation and AI or use the extra data that's come already from them to arm them and give them that experience a lot quicker, accelerate it. COVID is changing the way we work anyway. Uh, the next stage is 100% is going this to automation and our AI. It, it's just going to be the natural next next step for us all in, in project management processes. Um, so a lot of it was we're not ready, but when are we ever going to be ready? Now is the time to get get moving with it for sure um, and create that. If you've got urgent deadlines to meet, you know, automation, that's going to be working for you 24 hours a day. As humans, we can probably put in six to eight hours good work a day. After that, you know, the economies of scale just go right downhill. So now there's never a better time to do it than now because especially what we've experienced the last four months. Thanks, Shrag. And gold against Dale. Dale, uh, if you've got anything to add. Yeah, Four. thanks, Val. Uh, sorry, against. Against. Against, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, just back to um, what I said in the first round around, you know, we've got all the technology that we need today and not everyone's got to grips with it yet. So do we need more? No, because, and this brings me back to a bit of an argument of it depends on your window of the world, right? If, if you can see autom- automation, and potentially AI, um, as a lot of the guests have already said, they're two different things. Um, if you can see gaps in your current organization or project where you can easily bring it up, then yes, of course you need more. But my point is that we don't need more across the globe. It exists. That's my point. Because I'll take you to a simple example. I spoke to um, a, mutual, a family friend that uh, is a pilot trainer that works for Cathay Pacific. He says, today, we can have planes that don't require pilots. How many people would board that plane? Right? Not many. Right? You might, Val. <laughs> Andy might. But not many would board that plane. What if something goes wrong? Who's there to steer it? You still need people. You still need people to know what they're doing. You need people to understand it. And the risk of automation and AI is you, you end up with people that just don't know how it works. Right? They know how to control the, the automation. They know how to control the AI system potentially, or AI might even be better than the person. So we talk about, yes, we're not replacing people, but surely we will. Surely that factory belt, the conveyor belt, previously had people on it. Um, so yes, we might make more roles in the future, 
Um, but I'm trying to strongly argue against you and hopefully I've made my point. Um, and I'm going to end up there, Val, to give you a, a, a just time to, for a Just to up. clarify your point, Dale. So, so you're saying the risk is the risk there is that people won't understand uh, the tool set or the automation, is that right? Or the AI? Well, yeah, so, so, so you'll, you'll, you'll get even more um, what you've got today. I think Marco and Alberto might have alluded to it where you've got, you know, um, P6 jockeys. They don't actually understand planning, right? They just know how to operate Primavera. So if you have too much automation or, t- or AI coming in doing it all, people don't understand how to deliver a project because AI does it. It's all automated. Why do I have to understand it? So that's the danger there that, that, um, that, and, and why I think we don't need more. Um, and and to, to Michael's point, why don't we focus on the people and, and getting them to do things right? Brilliant. No, thanks for your uh, statement there, Dale and, and gentlemen. Um, I think that concludes our first topic. We warmed you up. We treated you gently. Uh, we do have another topic. Um, obviously, there's a lot of food for thought there for the listeners. Uh, if they want to know two or four, I mean, they're probably debating now. Um, I have my biases, but as a moderator, I'm not going to share them yet. Um, but you could probably guess. So thanks for your time. I'm going to hand over now to Dale, who's going to take you through the second topic, very similar to the first in terms of structure and and format. So thanks, Val. That was an amazing first topic. Um, and it was Definitely. interesting to be part of the argument for and against as well. Um, so let's see what the next topic is. Uh, and which teams are for it and which teams are against it. So, without further ado, here it comes. The traditional critical path method of planning is outdated. I'll say again, the traditional critical path method of planning is outdated. Four, so in other words, yes, you agree it is outdated, is the green team. Against it, is the gold team. So in other words, gold team, you arguing that CPM is still valid and it is the way to plan projects going forward. What I'm going to do is I'm going to mix it up uh, on the second round and uh, I'm going to reverse the order that we went in. And first in the hot seat is you, Val, um, for the gold team. And you're against against, uh, that it is outdated. Um, So do you want to give us your version? Certainly, if Dal, I would be happy to kick this off. Well, you know, as we know, um, in the previous discussion, I'll take off a note. Um, we talked about, you know, it wasn't automation that was broken and, and the problem. It was actually project management. And the real problem isn't about how we deliver projects. The methodology is still stable. would be stable for another 100 years. The problem is people aren't educated. They don't know how to use the critical path method to effectively plan projects. So the statement that we can... We can just outdate it and replace it and everyone's going to quickly adapt to a new process because we know how that works in projects is completely out of the question. What we need to do is work out how we mature the CPM method. How do we get people to not only understand that but also integrate other elements that are coming like emerging tech and automation, which I'm for if you're asking. Um, and, And my view is that given the fact that we've got AI and emerging tech coming, we should ultimately look at traditional methods and apply those algorithms to machines to learn. And thus, we create a a kind of convergence of modern methods of construction and delivery with traditional methods of delivery so that we don't perturb the method that people are educated in. Because obviously, it's not just us that are delivering training. It's institutions, and we know how rapid they are. 
when it comes to progressive training. It's very difficult for them to grapple even, you know, coding. I think, Michael, you were mentioning, you know, one of your kids was learning coding. Not a lot of schools have adopted that. So progressive training is not something institutions are going to adopt automatically. We drop the critical path method and then every mega project in the world is going to take on a new methodology. It's just not going to happen. Um, And I'll leave it there for my first round. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Val. And um, you have a bit of advantage because you did know what this uh, topic was. This is true. (laughs) <laughs> but at least you've given some of the others to have a bit of a, a, a think about it. Um, so continuing with that list and alternating between teams, we on the green team and Chirag. So you're um, four. So yeah. So what is your argument? Uh, you have to forgive me as a, not a technical person, um, but I think... Um, Feel free we, to tackle it from a recruitment perspective as well. As we move to the new modernization of technology and where we're at, um, everything needs to change um, to some extent and it needs to accelerate as soon as possible. Um, we, we talked before, that we, you know, we only want planners that have come from a civil engineer background. You know, that was 10 years ago. And now we're talking about maybe someone with an art degree could become a planner. So, you know, related to that, the critical path method uh, that goes at the moment has been used for 50 years. There has to be changes made. So it has to be further. If, it, you know, classic example is Blockbuster as, as a company. They didn't survive because they didn't move with the times and Netflix came along. So again, with, with methodology, I think the same thing needs to change as well. Um, really needs to move to less mistakes in the critical path. So again, going back to automation and AI, but how far can we go? Because if someone is really innovative and changes it completely, they're the ones that are going to succeed and get the most success. Um, so yeah, I'll leave that up. Brilliant. Thanks, Chirag. So we'll go back to the gold team. And I'm really excited to go to Mr. Primavera P6 himself, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> to get your thoughts on this. Well, great topic. Um, so now <laughs> I have to kind of undo everything I said in the last argument. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Okay. So the argument is CPM, uh, critical path method, is outdated. Well, uh, it's not outdated. And the truth is we haven't even mastered it yet. So, um, you know, there's some algorithms and there's some things that are, are just, um, they're just truth. Like the sun rises in the West. Oh, damn it. It's the East. The sun rises in the East and sets in the West. That's just, you know, that's just a, a part of nature. And I think CPM scheduling is one of these kind of like rare algorithms that kind of just um, speaks a little bit about the nature of getting things done. So, you know, if you break CPM down, it's not complicated. And it's actually uh, beautifully simple. You just define the work that you're going to do and you organize it in a sequence. I'm gonna do this first, that one second, that one third. And you put all those boxes together and then you run a little algorithm based on the duration of those things and boom, you get a critical path. This is the shortest way through the network. I mean, CPM scheduling, it's not, you know, it's basically an algorithm that comes from mathematics that comes from network theory that we, you know, adapted for construction uh, scheduling and for project management. 
But, you know, these mathematical principles, like if you break it down to its core, it's the way to find, it's the way to find a way through a network in the shortest way. So how can that be outdated? It's like saying Pythagoras, Pythagoras, Geez, I need more coffee. Hold on. <laughs> Take a sip. Big slug. It's like saying Pyth- the Pythagorean theorem is outdated. It's not. It's it's just a simple truth of nature, and that's what CPM is. Um, so, as far as I'm aware, as we move into the future, we're still going to define work and sequence it, and say I need to do this one first and that one second. So, there's no way that CPM can go away. It's always going to be around. Um, it's just, uh, it's just an algorithm. That's uh, the basis for everything. Now I think we could enhance it and we have, you know, we've been seeing how companies are taking CPM and applying them to, you know, applying it into BIM, for example, let's put CPM into our drawings and let's, um, enhance it that way but at its core it's still this it's still this very simple algorithm how do i find my way through this network in the fastest path uh the fastest way so i don't see how cpm could go away in project management we're still going to continue to define activities sequence them and we're going to need to know the fastest way to get from beginning to end brilliant done mic drop (laughs) brilliant michael (laughs) appreciate that (laughs) Uh, let's go next to the green team and it's Andy, Andy Morgan. I have to follow that. <laughs> um, Pick the mic up first. Yeah, there's the start. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> unusually in a debate, most of what Michael said is correct. I agree with him. But it's based on a few assumptions. Um, critical path is a simple fact of working out the fastest way to get from A to B. It is the correct way to sequence things. It's to work out what's the most important tasks. Those are all true things but they assume those are the most important things. Critical, there's a, there's a, there's a phenomenon that what, what you measure matters. The act, of, the act of tracking something, the act of measuring something gives it a prominence in your mind or in the team or in, you know, makes it key information and it becomes something you focus on. And to, to some extent, it can be the key focus. So using criti- the critical path method assumes time is king. And if we're looking at the triangle of... Uh, time, cost, and quality. I know you guys love to get a triangle in where you can. Um, it's about the balance of the three. And using the critical path method skews things completely towards time. Uh, and in many cases, that's correct, but, but, but not universally. You know, sometimes, actually, time is the thing that we can really give as long as we get this right, you know, uh, as long as it comes in on budget. You know, we've got a finite budget. If it has to run late, so be it. And using things like critical path method place an undue focus on the schedule, on time, as the king of the project. Uh, and, and that that taking it back a step, that's the bit that needs some analysis. Um, that's where we look at things like agile methods instead, using um, uh, using more sort of uh, um, emergent scheduling, using using different methods that place the focus elsewhere, that place the focus on delivery, on the, uh, on getting things out, um, uh, and just scheduling things in a, in a different way that allow us to place our focus and our attention on 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 different different parts of the project. Um, the, the issue I've always had with, with critical path method is certain tasks in your schedule then become far more important than others because they're on the critical path. That doesn't make them more important parts of the project. It just means that because of the way your project is scheduled, they take a much higher prominence in your mind. Those things must happen on time or there's an impact. They might not be 
actually important things. In some cases, they might actually be fairly peripheral things. And some of the real key things that you absolutely need to get right, that you absolutely need to focus on, may not appear on the critical path and may drop down the priority list a bit as a result. So I don't disagree with anything Michael said. I just think it's built on the assumption that the schedule and the end date and time are the most important things. And that's the part I challenge. That's the part I think the critical path method places too much focus on. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. I think you did well. You said, you know, how do you come back from that? You picked the mic up uh, and you yeah. had a good uh, response. <laughs> uh, and, but it's, you know, you've had your go now and we're moving on to Alberto to uh, give an argument uh, against that. Well, uh, you know, coming from the plenty background, I think for me, you know, critical path is the only way for you to focus on, you know, one of the important activities to be complete or deliver a project on time. Um, you know, you, you need to understand what is critical, what is the flow that you have, and what is the longest path, what are the activities driving the project completion. Um, so you, you need to respond to, to stakeholders, and you, you have a project where you have $100,000 a day for LDs, you, you really want to be sure that, you know, your critical path is correct and you're not driving the project to, to be late. And, and, and then if you look at this from, you know, from the early stage of the project, so let's say that you're building a job or you, or you, are, you are the owner of the project, I think that the critical path also encourage the team to reduce project duration. So that's the only methodology that you have to look at, well, okay, look, I have a project that I need to deliver in two years because you know, the return of investment has to be X. So the only way to, to get to this point is just to look at the critical path and see what can I do to, to actually reduce the ratio. So that, that's something that really encourage the, the team just to look at, you know, what are the areas of, you know, you can improve. And I guess also the critical path increase the visibility on what is important for your project delivery. Um, so we, I think that we, we have two things that you can quantify. So one is time and another one is money when we look at project control. So and money, you know, that's fine. We all understand, you know, when we talk about whether it's Australian dollars or pounds or whatever, or euros, but when you go to time, well, the, the only unit that we can use is, is just days or weeks or months. And, and you need to have a critical path to really quantify that. I think that that's the only way to do it. Brilliant. Thanks, Alberto. Um, but I think your good friend Marco, who's up next, will um, try and give us all the reasons as why it is outdated. So, Marco, what do you have to say to Alberto? Um, so you have put me in a very difficult position, to be honest, because obviously I, I see the great value of the critical path. But now, if we look at it, the critical path takes time as an in, as basically the input for deciding how I mean for deciding for calculating what is the critical what we have to focus on. Reality is that the time is an output, so everything is coming then down to even other things like you know resources, how these resources are spread. To be honest, the reason why I'm so I'm so um, in a difficult position is even if you take the new methodology, which is not based on critical path per se. At the end of the day, once you've done all your uh, collaborative working, you know, there are all these methods where you put all the activities on a board and collaboratively you come out which are the activities which are important. At the end of the day, you will put it on a, on a gun chart in any case. So you will end up in being, in any case, on a critical path. So I think there is room for using other things, but I'm still not sure that it will be the solution because you will end up in any case in having some sort of critical path at the end of the world thing. Brilliant. Thanks, Marco. And um, appreciate Sorry it. for the announcement. 
No, not at all. We appreciate you joining us from the airport. You know, during COVID uh, with flight delays, these things are so unpredictable. So really appreciate the effort. Um, and um, if, if we then go on to uh, the gold team, which is Mr. Paul Gooch, uh, to give us his arguments against, um, what, are, what are some of your st- uh, thoughts, Paul? Well, it's unclear to me what the problem is we're trying to solve. So I think I've heard some about well you know time isn't always that important really is it well the projects and programs I've been involved on it kind of was and um, the ones I've reviewed it kind of has been so the vast majority fall into the category of you know what time kind of is really very important and you know what time tends to gate cost as well so now if you want to manage time and cost then probably having a focus on it is a pretty good thing and I haven't heard any argument really to say what we should be replacing it with, but Al's coming up next, so he'll probably <laughs> correct me on that one. Um, and some of the problems I think I might have heard is, you know, if we're not careful, then we're just going to focus on the critical path, almost as if it's some set-in-stone monolithic thing. And all of us know that, hey, the critical path evolves. And as people have cogently argued, technology exists such that we can cope with that evolution. So we've got the skills, we've got the intelligence, we understand that critical path does change, we understand subcritical paths, and we can use the tools to tell us by how much they're off the critical path, we can keep an eye on them. And we've got close cousins of CPM, like critical chain theory, so we can look at that. So I think that's to one of the earlier points that I think Andy might have been referring to, that you know what, Sometimes there's something that, you know, if we're not careful, it's a very limited resource. So that's where the variable is. But we can do that. That's all related to um, critical path um, management theory. There's a world of um, debate going on still um, in the earned value world about, you know, should it be earned schedule we're looking at? Again, close cousin of critical path. So if we're not careful, we're going to be throwing out the baby with the bathwater here for no apparent good reason that I can see. Brilliant. And we don't Al's throw <laughs> Yeah, and, and Al's going to give us all the reasons why we should be throwing that baby out with the bathwater, aren't you, Al? Well, I hesitate to agree with Paul Gooch, but to some extent I have to. <laughs> um, but I'm going to turn his argument against him and use it from my side. I'm not sure it's more daunting going first on topic or going last on topic, actually. <laughs> it's uh, it's um, Paul used the phrase time is important and I think that is absolutely true but is also one of the, con- the fundamental flaws around traditional critical path method planning and I'm going to highlight that word traditional in the, in the question because I think that's the, that's the hub of the, the thing for me. When you look at the context of where projects are and, and by, by projects most of our projects are by definition programs now the complexity that we're operating in is always increasing um, environment, politics, all, all the rest of it, uh, adding to the, the, the complication of delivering projects. So time is important, but that's the problem because time is so often driven politically, particularly when we're talking about large infrastructure projects or public sector-driven projects. That end date, that critical milestone is so political that the whole project is driven to supporting achievement of that critical milestone. And that in itself is the problem with traditional critical path methods, because as something else Paul alluded to, it's not just the single critical path. There are multiple paths, one of which happens to be critical at this point in time. It could be a different one tomorrow. It could be a different one next week. 
So in, in, in a bizarre way, going back to the previous topic around AI and automation, the ability to have data and processes that are looking continuously at all the possible variations of that critical path is perhaps the way we should be going. So I think it's very much about adapting and developing the approach of critical path planning away from its traditional single focus on an end date with time, time um, elements that are squeezed to meet that political milestone date and thinking about how we apply critical path methodology better through the human beings that are doing it and taking away some of that political sensitivity and being more uh, being able more to think about agility and volatility in the complex environment we operate in. So I don't agree that critical path, path methodology is out of date. I think it needs to develop and adapt and, and go forward with the times. And that's, that's, that's my position on that. Brilliant. I hope that's Thanks. not too much against what my uh, fellow Green Team members have said so far. <laughs> I think you're trying to bridge the gap and take it slowly over to your side. <laughs> But brilliant. Thanks, Al. So round one is done and uh, we'll go through round two, the rebuttal round to, to each in the same order. Um, so we'll go back to Val to see if uh, you want to add anything or just sum up what you said in the beginning. No, it was good. It was good hearing debate and, uh, and it's good being part of the debate because obviously you guys have a lot of knowledge and experience and, and um, I'm receiving that right now. Um, so I appreciate the reception, but I I want to go back to you know, the question and the topic um, and start with why. Why do we have a traditional critical path method on almost every mega project in the world? And the simple answer is it works. And then you you will logically kind of argue the opposite to that is the absence of a critical path method. Well, if we didn't have one, would we do any better? And the answer is probably no. And so what, what are we trying to solve here um, by trying to replace or outdate or say that a critical path method is outdated? Um, I think, again, back to my point around you're, you're going to have struggles and challenges with reintroducing new, top, new methodologies. Um, and, and I think Andy was the one that mentioned Agile. And Agile is great. It's, it's a great DevOps, a great software development. It gets the customer involved. And there's a lot of pros for Agile but it just doesn't have the economies of scale and projects aren't getting smaller. They're getting bigger. So, you know, the last mega project I worked in Australia was three and a half thousand people. It's $50 billion. That's what we're talking about now. We're talking 50 to hundred billion dollars for a project for infrastructure and transport. How are you going to roll out agile on a 50 to hundred billion dollar project? It's just not feasible. So until someone can present a logical argument with a counter methodology that can service and support the two success measures that most companies use, on a project, if you think about it, it's on time and on budget. Now, if you worked on a project and you said it was on time and on budget, Chirag, you support me on this. It's like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Put that on the CV. You're not going to put it on the CV if it doesn't meet time and budget or you at least omit that piece, I'm sure. Um, so my point there is valid as well. So economies of scale, methodologies. And the other reason it's important to add is emerging technology. So a really important factor is that Technology is going to replace some of the things we do, specifically low-value transactional work. Wow, critical path method is simple, which means we already have the technology to train machines to run, not just put in a bunch of inputs and, and wait for an output, but actually provide three elements of maturity along that path, descriptive, 
prescript, uh, predictive and prescriptive. So at some point, machine learning will provide multiple critical paths and provide various scenarios because ultimately the critical path method is giving us what? It's giving us certainty, certainty about our forecasts, certainty to kind of interrogate those project managers with those poor behaviors. You know, it gives us a basis of evidence, gives us the ability to argue contract positions. It gives us the ability to claim Um, without a critical path method. We have very little evidence to stand on where we are in a point in time and where we are going. So it's a very important factor. And I just wanted to leave it there. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks, Val. And uh, so Chirag, Val mentioned you there with a straight shot at you. Uh, You're next. Um, So for all those candidates you have and, you know, um, clients that you work with, tell Val your side of the story. You mentioned the point about projects, success, um, coming in on time and budget. What what percentage of projects are successful and come in on time and budget? Um, So maybe one of the issues there is the critical path. Maybe it is time for that change and that will come with the modernization of technology. You know, if we change, if we use technology to change the critical path, then that whole traditional method will change over time. Also, um, by changing the critical path method, job will change as well. So more about that data interpretation, big mega projects, like you mentioned, we're changing that. These processes can be used more consistently across the world um, and shared. Chirag, thank you very much uh, for that. Let's go to up next on the order was the gold team and was Alberto. So Alberto, if you want to go ahead, unmute yourself and uh, give us your argument against your second round. Well, I think, as I said before, you know, the critical path helps you to identify the most important task to meet the project date. It helps to make dependency visible and clear for all the project team. So it doesn't matter if you're a designer, you're an engineering and procurement manager or the construction manager, everybody understands the same methodology. Everybody understands about critical path. Um, I think it helps to compare plan and actual. So it's very easy for people just to track the project and say, well, hold on, you know, you have an erosion here of your float. So you, you have, you know, 20 days of float before now for a milestone and now you only have five. Or look, you have minus 20. So it means that you need to recover the delays or to do something. Um, and, and I think it's really the only way to help to, to get late projects back on track is just to have a critical path that really can show you, you know, how many days you are over the schedule or, or what is the flow that you have or, or, or whether you, you are able to, to meet, you know, a, a specific milestone area than, than you thought. So I think that's, you know, only somebody come with a completely new you know, methodology, a way to communicate scheduled, you know, at all different kind of level. I think that we all talk the same language. You know, you either talk money for cost or you talk about float and critical path in time. Brilliant. Thanks, Alberto. Uh, Marco, if we go to you next, uh, tell us why you're for this. Why, why, why is the CPM outdated? I mean, if you sum up some of your earlier thoughts around that, and hopefully we don't have the uh, announcement this time to aid you. I must admit, the thing I can say is, I think we have to be open to new methodologies. That means that I don't think that there is one which actually has replaced or is there to be replacing the critical path. More to do with the collaborative working. Really, really, really struggle, even if I, if I, even if I think hard 
is at the end of the day, the bottom line is whatever you do, you will still end up in having a sort of, call it critical path or something different, a sort of list of priority of activities which have to be looked at, which are critical. Probably not in the normal sense. So it might not be critical for, you know, for, uh, for the normal reason would have it critical. But at the end, the mental construct around it remains somehow. Probably it's not called critical, it will not be called critical path, but somehow you will have a prioritization because let's be honest, if you are in a project like a, a project uh, of 1 billion with uh, 500,000 activities, uh, 20 different subcontractors, at the end of the day, you must be able to somehow extrapolate what are the, the things you want to look at. Otherwise, you will be completely overflown by, by, you know, by informations, by tasks, by activities. How, what is the point where you will be able then to say, without using the CPM, um, what is important or what is the thing I need to be focused more than others? So it's probably not going to be the, the, the critical path as we understand it now, but I can't really see a difference in, in the construct of having a critical list of activities. So I'm sorry if I can't be completely on the pro side on the of not using critical path. I'm I'm open to, to you know to the idea that there'll be differences, but I don't think the construct will change really the you know the criticality. That's part of our job as planners. We look at things which are critical, we look at things which are important. Uh, you know, we give to the project managers or project directors the information and say, Oh, look, if you do this, the scenario planning, for example, which is based on assumptions. So yeah, I think there is room for it. I, I, I still uh, think that the real mental construct of critical will, will still remain for, for the time being somehow. Sorry, this was a bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, Marco. I think um, Michael's smiling because he's up next and he's going, yeah, okay, thanks, Marco. You made it easy for me. Michael, do you want to <laughs> give him a knockout punch or what, what, what's, your, what's your take? <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to welcome Marco to the gold team. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Concede. <laughs> um, you know, I, I can't add too much else. I think Val summed it up really nicely. Um, you know, CPM works. It works. That keep using what works. Like let's not reinvent the wheel just because, oh, it's old. And by the way, it's only from the 1950s. It's not that old, right? Uh, Pythagorean has been around for a lot longer. Uh, and, and, and Paul's point is absolutely important. Um, most pro- projects, time is important. Like we do need to focus on time. And, and uh, sorry, Andy, I'm going to pick on you a little bit because <laughs> you followed me. Andy, this is not your point, but it did really misunderstood. And, and we say, here's the schedule. Here's this critical path. And you try to disseminate that information out into the field saying this is most important this thing and it's not that thing's not on the critical path and it's got 150 days of float that thing is not the important thing um you know i think that's still the misunderstanding that we have around critical path and maybe it's not that critical path is outdated but maybe our tools that use critical path are outdated maybe they're not serving us well anymore I will concede that one. Um, maybe it's time to update those tools. Maybe those tools should be smarter, should look at multiple critical paths, should quickly give you a, a picture of what's near critical or what's coming up. Um, 
So, so I would strongly argue path is not going away. That way through that network is it's a fundamental way of organizing our work and identifying the fastest way through that network is not going away, but maybe we could update our tools. Brilliant. Thanks, Michael. Sandy, why is it outdated? There you go. Fantastic segue into, uh, into my point there. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> um, if we take a look at the question, nobody is trying to argue that critical path method is wrong. That's, that's not the debate. The debate is the traditional critical path method is outdated. Uh, and I think Michael summed it up perfectly for me. We're not, we're not trying to argue the principal point. We, I think we're all agreed, you know, the, you're right, that the, the industry has been sort of consolidated around this for, for decades, that it is a good way to understand a project. It's a good way to, to, to understand what, 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 uh, what, what we need to prioritize. Um, but it's time it evolved. We're still doing things the way we were doing them a long time ago when the rest of the project has moved on. Um, and there are there are ways it should be used. There are ways it should be communicated. There are there are things we can do with data with risk to um, to, to build different um, permutations, different scenario planning. There are ways we can develop and evolve and um, improve the tool without challenging the fundamental basics of it. Um, and in that sense, yes, I think it is outdated. Traditional method is outdated. It's not wrong. It's not it's not going anywhere, and it's not um, it's not about to change. But uh, but it's time it's it improved probably by building on top of the traditional method with uh, with the tools and technologies and processes that have become available to us um, in recent years. The, uh, the depth of data, the fact that we can now uh, include uncertainty in it maybe, look at scenario planning, look at probabilities, critical path of other things coming on in and processing to, to provide a more robust and a more complete tool. And in that sense, I think it is outdated and, and needs to improve. Brilliant. Thanks, Andy. Uh, we're going to go to Mr. Googe to get his wise words as to uh, his arguments against. Firstly, I'd like to extend huge kudos to uh, Andy for at least keeping at least one foot in the uh, green camp there. Well done. <laughs> um, and, but I did get slightly confused by the argument. So I was basically hearing parallels with, well, Einstein took um, Newton's theories of gravity a bit further, therefore um, Newtonian thinking is outdated. Well, I, I don't think so. I think I can still go up into an apple tree and see that um, it's still proved to be right and valid and, uh, well, kind of necessary in some instances, uh, if anyone's going on an airplane flight in the near future. Um, and, and I heard arguments about, well, yeah, time, but time's got a political dimension to it. Well, does that mean that we should be getting rid of critical path uh, methodologies? I don't think so. Um, and, and I think to Michael's point, he talked about the tools perhaps need updating. I agree. Um, and I think just as importantly as the tools, it's about the education, it's about the communication. We've got the ability now to bring this stuff to life in a way which makes sense to the whole project, to the directors and the apprentices, rather than just the, uh, the, the desk jockeys themselves. But all we're going to be doing there is building upon that which currently exists and with what is valid. Um, Charig, I think I heard you say that, you know, hey, projects fail, therefore, ergo, um, CPM is failing. I, I Maybe you didn't say that. I've yet to see the uh, the detailed analysis around the cause and effect on that. And there are many projects which are successful, which you know, by dint of the world we live in, we know those don't get as much much publicity. But um, but no, London won a pretty good Olympics a few years back. Won a few medals as well, Val, for all those sitting down events that we did. Um, 
And and I know from John Arnett and those guys, you know, the ODA, the Olympic Delivery Authority, they had a crystal clear focus on schedule, uh, on critical path, um, as did um, the world's greatest football team, Arsenal, when they got their new stadium in place in time. So I, I'm yet to hear the argument that says that, no, CPM isn't going to be, isn't now, and isn't going to be for the foreseeable future, way beyond their horizon the most valid part of that tool that we have in our toolkit as successful um, P3M managers. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. And always well put. Al, are we coming to you for your final thoughts? Uh, you going to put Paul away? I thought it was uh, very appropriate that uh, Dale went to Paul and asked for his wise words in the first 10 seconds we heard was silence. So uh... <laughs> 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 keep the banter going. Uh, yeah, I can see your video yeah, as well, Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I think the argument is is exactly what uh, what Andy uh, was saying, which is it's not about critical path method is itself is outdated. It's the traditional application of it. And we've, we've talked about this many times on on both sides of the argument over the last few minutes. And I think the goal team have done a sterling job of actually uh, making that point themselves. Thank you very much. The point about updating our tools is, is absolutely right. It's about evolving and moving forward. And I can't believe that you know a bunch of people on this podcast who are you know here because they are passionate about the future and developing the industry are going to sit here and say that a technique found in the fifties can't evolve and, and be updated and move forward. I see Val smiling at that one. Uh, so to, to to finish this off really and just sort of try and uh, drop the mic and slam dunk here, critical path methodology is is the methodology that we do run our mega projects on. Yeah, someone said that, no, no doubt about that. But is it always effective? Is it flexible and adaptable enough in our current complex environment? No, we can do more. We can do more, we can do better, and we can take it forward. And I think that is my final comment. Brilliant. Thanks, Al. Wow, what a debate topic too. I think we got we did we did a great great job at warming up and you know yeah. the first topic. And we got right into it in, in topic two um and, and that brings us to the end of the topics but there's so much that you gain just listening to all the different arguments the different opinions and aspects and i know some of you are arguing for something when you're against it and vice versa and that makes it beautiful as well um so and always also interesting to listen to um but without further ado what i'm going to do is hand to val um so he can take us into the final segment where we've got some listener questions and uh, we've been very fortunate um, to have two listeners with us uh, in Faz and, and Scott. Um, and we've got a couple of other questions as well. Um, and they won't be sort of round robin uh, where each guest gets, uh, sorry, each uh, yeah, previous guest gets to answer it. Uh, these questions are directed at a specific guest. Um, so Val, if you don't mind taking us through those. Yeah, certainly. Thanks, Dale. You might hear my dog. He's having dreams in the background and uh, he's making little sounds. So that's, that's not me, I promise. Um, uh, but as Dale said, we've got some, some guests joining us today, which is great. Um, it's great to have fans and subscribers to the, to the, uh, the podcast. And I'll do my best um, to introduce them. So we'll start with Faz. Faz has got three questions. Um, as, we, as Dale said, Faz, if you could direct that to one person on the panel. Um, and then uh, if anyone else wants to chip in, they can certainly raise their hand and add an opinion and I'll, I'll direct the question to you if you've got anything else to add of value. Uh, Faz, do you want to answer or ask the question, uh, question number one, if you've got it in front of you? Absolutely. Uh, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Val. So my question is directed to that, Val, and uh, maybe Andy as well can chip in. Um, the question being, how can we promote or accelerate better data exchange, benchmarking, 
and best practice sharing. Also, how do we get more SMEs or emerging players involved in these conversations? Unlocking this would be the ultimate transformation needed for industry. But how do we get there? It's a great question. Who was that directed to? Sorry, Faz? Uh, to you and Andy, Andy Morgan. Uh, Andy, did you want to go first? I'll try my best. <laughs> um, I'll start. I'll start at the end if that's okay. There's some things about um, industry 4.0 and, uh, and IoT and all, all these terms that are, uh, are very sort of prevalent in, in our our we're we're looking at and industry 4.0 IoT. They're interesting ones in that basically they describe what we've been doing all along. You know what companies like Firstco have been doing for donkey's years in terms of automation and uh, integration and, uh, and and application technology. What they provide is uh, a framework, a sort of a, a way of describing these things that that the wider world can understand. It's a way of describing what uh, control systems integrators and communication specialists do and have been doing for a long time, and and making that accessible to to the to the wider public. Um, and in terms of uh, of data transfer, that, that that's that's kind of the key to it. Really, is that um, that common language, that, that sort of common platform and common language. Um, so how do we get a wider uptake of, uh, I think, if I remember your, your first question was, how do we get a wider uptake of sort of use of data? Is that is that right? Um, and I think we do that through a common language and a common platform. It's interoperability, basically. If you think uh, standardization, you know, um, when when electricity was first rolled out, there was, you know, every different uh, company had its own plug sockets and, and a plug for one wouldn't fit into a socket for another. Same with the railroads. When railroads first came out, every different railroad company used a slightly different gauge. Um, Something like BIM is a good step in the right direction there. You know, that, that, that BIM standard means that uh, we're developing things in the model in a way that everyone can understand and that, that, that information can be shared between different organizations uh, without having to translate it. So standards and interoperability are really the, the key to, to getting things to take off. Thanks, Andy. Um, and I might answer the, the other part of your question there, Faz, because uh, I think Andy did a good job. Um, and it's a really well-structured question. Obviously, you put a lot of thought into it. Um, you mentioned around how promote how to promote and accelerate better data exchange. I think that's it, it's, it's uniquely an, an individual to each project. It's not something that's inhibited by technology. So, obviously, what we're talking about there is is the promotion of of technology advancement, and then obviously education that follows. So, you know, most mega projects, if they have the right sponsorship can have all the bells and whistles they want. Um, but what you find is a lot of that kind of innovative thinking comes on too late into the project or after, it's an afterthought. Um, so, so in terms of understanding how we can improve it, it it's certainly all the available technologies there. Um, there's two ways to do it. And one, you want to influence industry. And the other one is you want to influence government. And there's a lot of companies trying to do this to make sure that government incentivizes data and digital solutions. And there's a point I was discussing uh, with the AIPM uh, earlier this week around how there's not an incentive for private industries to be too smart too quickly. So they only need to be as smart as their client when it comes to bidding for a project to win because profit is calculated per employee. So if you think about that, then there's no real regulation to say, well, they have to mandate certain solutions because they're faster, cheaper, and better. They actually only have to do things that are perceived as efficient to the client. So then it's up to the client to maintain you know, some type of standard and regulation. But we've we got to also make sure that we're not confusing ourselves with pace. You, know, you mentioned acceleration. We are not in charge of the technical or the digital revolution. 
or evolution. It's going at its own pace, you know, Moore's law. It it will run as fast as it likes. And the big, biggest risk to industry is the fact that um, if we don't keep up, one, we'll have lower skilled workers and there'll be a gap. Um, two, uh, we won't understand the technology that we're trying to use. Uh, and, and three, it'll kind of distort or slow down this this acceleration. Um, but I'll, I'll leave it there. There's, there's a lot of food for thought. That's a really good one. The last kind of piece you mentioned is benchmarking. Um, I'll spend 30 seconds on that, Faz, because that's probably a really important piece. Um, we mentioned, I think it was Michael that mentioned getting, you know, getting your ducks in or getting your data right and then you know, having good historical clean data that you can then reuse to learn and apply those lessons to future projects. But the understanding, I think, or the definition I've seen out there in, in, in business is benchmarking other projects. And I think that's a very dangerous thing to do is to draw comparisons and parallels to projects that aren't within your, your company that aren't standardized because most projects, and I say most, but the projects I've been on are very unique and they're very cumbersome and there's no standard way of consuming that data. Therefore, you know, you take a perfect design, construct, install type arrangement, you, just because they're in the rail industry or whatever industry they're in, you can't just draw comparisons. It's not that simple. There's a lot of variations, there's a lot of assumptions, and there's a lot of dependencies that are different per project. So benchmarking, I guess, can be done well, but it needs to be done by the company itself, the sponsored company or the, or the client that's receiving that information. I'll leave it there. So if we go to Paul first. I think just taking benchmarking as, as a sort of concept, conceptually, and been involved in the debate many times um, when I was a wage slave. And I guess, you know, you said, is it just some utopian ideal? Well, hey, I'm a romanticist and the organisation we're worried about. We need to kind of innovate to survive and thrive. So I, I would argue that there's more to be gained than probably lost as long as it's done in a conscious, controlled, sensible way. And I guess one point of departure with Val's concluding argument there, Val, was that I think there's a lot more similarity between the various realms and sometimes we like to acknowledge or recognise. I think we get some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of a machismo out of, you know, my area is different to yours. And you, you worked in lots of areas as well. And I suspect most of us have. And we do see an awful lot of similarity. And sometimes these differences that people put up, they're not quite as valid, as real as people think they are. Mm. So I think there's a lot more to be gained out of benchmarking, talking about processes. And I think uh, once we get that mindset right, and so where the romantic utopian ideal is for me, Faz, in the way that you ask the question, is you no, know, I do subscribe to you know, the world being a better place and you know, we're all part of a project management family. And, you know, Al and I have worked in the same company for a while and now we don't. But my suspicion is that we would happily sort of benchmark if the occasion arose and we wouldn't have any problem, you know, um, in a sort of competitive sense about doing that because I think we'd understand it's right. for the greater good. And, you know, we're all good, we're both going to go away from that conversation and innovate in our own little way. And, and that's okay. So that would be my take on it. Thanks, Paul. And uh, who else had to comment? Was it Al or Alberto? Yeah, it was me, Valve. Um, and, and it's just going back to the topic about benchmark. You know, I have been implementing benchmarking in previous company from, you know, Wally Parson and Samson and company where I have been the head of project control. And, and, and I have to say that this is, it have the pros and cons, you know, when you go to, to benchmark. Um, and I think it's hand in hand with also with the sharing knowledge. Um, 
I think what is important uh, is that, you know, any benchmark that you use, you need to understand the context behind the benchmark. Um, and, and what is the purpose of having a benchmark? Are you doing this to validate something or are you doing this to, to make a decision? So, and, and those two completely different animals, you know? So if, if you say, well, I'm going to take the benchmark to make a decision to go ahead with a project, or I'm going to use this to compare to what I have, have to validate whether they are in range. So that, that's something different. And I, I made you know, a few mistakes in the past, you know, I remember just doing the, you know, the, the construction plan for a project in Iraq and you know, never worked in Iraq before. We didn't have any historical data for projects in Iraq. You know, we were basically the first one to do a big you know, oil and gas project in, in Iraq. So we made a decision about, well, what do we use productivity rate from Saudi Arabia, but we just put a factor of two. No, so we were completely wrong because it's not only about the productivity, it, it was about the, the, you know, the constraint that you have on the infrastructure. So the only port that it was in Basra. So, so we have three major oil operators just trying to go everybody on the same port. So we have constraint with logistics. So, so it, it was more about the, the benchmark. And then it happened to me also, you know, when I was doing a project in Uzbekistan, so it was the same. We don't have a lot of historical data. So what we can use as a basis? Well, we have a lot of information from Azerbaijan. So it must be quite similar. Wrong. You know, Uzbekistan is landlocked. So, you know, everything to get to the side, it could take three months, you know. So, and that's why you, you really need to understand, you know, when you use benchmark, you know, what is the context behind this, you know. You, you get a lot of information sometimes. People say, oh, you can do something you know, like a four pies per day. And you know, then you have another person that say, oh, you can make 10 pies per day. You know, what sort of soil are we talking about? What is the soil capacity? You know, what is the size of the rig? You know, and so what is the constraint? Do you have noise levels constraint? So there is, there is many things that, you know, so for me, you need, you need to be a little bit careful. You know, and last year I did a survey across almost 100 planners about what are the barriers to collect actual information in projects. And it came quite, in, you know, quite interesting that the top one was the lack of time for gathering information. So, and then you think about, well, if we're planners, we don't want to collect information. This is actually something that, you know, for me, it's like gold, you know, I'm trying to get all this, you know, because it's going to help me for the next project. But, you know, people say, yeah, we're too busy. So, and, and, and then the next one was like a poor data quality. So, and the, the, the quality of the information is so poor that we decide that, that it's not worth putting in the system because we don't know what we're going to get. Um, and then it was, you know, the lack of consistency in the units of measure. So, so we know with projects where we collect data based on, you know, pies per day, and the only one is, you know, you know, you know, meter of pies per per week, and then you have another one that is pies per week, and then you have another one number of days per pie, you know, so so it's all out of the place. So it's very difficult to collect the information, and then it's all linked to your, your contracting strategy. How are you going to collect information from your subcontractors? So if you have a, a subcontractor that is based on a lump sum price. They're never going to give you the information because at the end of the day, oh, you know, that's my that's my business, you know. And so and there is a lot of things that you need to think about it, you know, when you go to how to implement benchmark. Yeah, thanks, Alberto. And um, Faz, hopefully that that gave you a lot of food for thought uh, on that question. Um, just in the interest of time, Faz, I'll give you one more question to uh, to pick out of your three there, and then we'll head to Scott for his question. Faz. Over to you, sure, thanks. Thanks for that, uh, guys. Really uh, thoughtful answers. Um, my next question um, is: 
we see so many people now, especially during this uh, period of isolation, attaining all these certifications of codes and data science, project management, uh, um, you know, combining Revit with uh, automation, Dynamo, Grasshopper, etc., and these various other business intelligence tools. Speaking about the construction industry specifically, how do we take all of these skill sets and their value and feed that into the 1965 vehicle that we've been running for so long? Are we honestly prepared to change our ways, transform the traditional hierarchy of working, harness these value-adding qualities, and perhaps change the way we tender or price the projects? Where does this change need to start? Governance, shifting the rules of the game. Do we as people working in corporate entities have any influence in changing this? If it's funding, then do we start this by changing the way we see ROI or rate of return or asset value longevity on our projects? Faz, thank you. There's a lot of questions there. Is there anyone specifically you wanted to direct um, and they can pick from that list? Uh, this, I've put it in the chat there for, for the benefit of the people, uh, for the guest speakers. Uh, was there anyone specifically you wanted to uh, go to first? Perhaps someone that hasn't spoken yet? Sure. Um, so, Al, I'd love to know your thoughts. Thanks, Al. Yeah, thanks, thanks Mo. Um, fascinating question. Um, so much about what you've asked there, it comes down to, and apologies for the police sirens going off in the background. What are you doing? Quite sure what's happening. The thriving criminal metropolis that is Helmsley Village in the North York Moors. <laughs> uh, so, a lot of what you talked about there is is organisational cultural transformation, um, and how do we price projects? How do we drive you know better integration of data, better you know, ways of working? It's got to come from the clients. The push has got to come from the clients, be they public sector or private sector. And I think one of the disappointments of the last six to nine months is whether you agree with the politics of of it or not, um, the way that the Heathrow expansion program was setting itself up as a client to drive that program forward was really showing some some difference, uh, cultural difference in terms of the way they were driving their, their view of life, what they were there as a client for and what they were looking to champion in terms of transformation. Uh, for lots of reasons, you know, political, environmental, social, and um, that, that project has, has uh, come off the rails a bit and has been put back, uh, which I think from from the transformation is a real shame. Already, I'm looking at this from a UK perspective, the big infrastructure projects in construction, um, they are suffering from this historical lack of, of productivity in the sector. And there is a view that clients are not really stepping up and putting the transformational challenge into the delivery sector to make the difference, I think, is the question that you're asking. So without going off on a whole diatribe around you know, culture and, and behaviours and, and leadership, I think the fundamental answer to your question, from my perspective, is it's got to be clawed. Thanks, Al. Um, I'll give the opportunity to Chirag or Michael to kind of respond as well because you haven't had an opportunity. Michael, did you want to go first? Did you have anything to add to that? Uh, it's quite a list there. Um, but if you wanted to paraphrase or pick a specific sure. point. Um, thanks for the question, Faz. Um, you clearly <laughs> thought a lot about it to put, put it together. There was a lot of stuff in that question. Um, you, you know, I don't think I can um, speak to to everything, but I can speak a little bit to the, the, the front part. Um, yeah, definitely in this time of, uh, you know, isolation, at Plant Academy, anyways, we saw lots of traffic, lots of people who were like, wow, it's time for us to, you know, get on the bandwagon of learning this stuff and learning it deep. Um, 
we also saw a lot of companies show up and say, hey, it's time. Um, so we saw individuals, but we also saw companies show up and say, hey, it's actually time for us to formalize training or we're going to use our budget that we usually use for um, for going to conferences and we're going to use it towards training this year instead. And uh, that's definitely, I think, been a move in the right direction. Um, it's It's always surprising how much gaps in education there there are out there um you mentioned bi and um and the need for you know people up training or the desire for people to up train not just in their project management skills but also now in, in their bi skills and we're seeing that a lot too that people are very interested in learning you know power bi or tableau or these uh you know these great tools that we have now at our fingertips um and there needs to be you know I think from the education side, there needs to be more training uh, developed there. And that's something that I'll, I'll take on. Um, but it, I, I kind of feel like from what I'm feeling out in the project world, um, yeah, projects are starting up again, but at least here in North America, there's this whole grumble, you know, like your, your question was, are we ready to, are we ready to take some of this new knowledge and, and start to transform the industry? I think we're still in emergency mode. I think there were still like, oh, delay claims, oh, uh, force majeure, oh, how do, you know, like, and that, unfortunately, I think it's going to take, a, you know, at, at least a year or maybe multi-years to figure out and solve, and it's going to get contentious, it's going to get ugly, and some things are going to be really, really messy. So I don't think we're quite prepped for from what i'm seeing anyways i don't think we're quite prepped to take all that wonderful slow down knowledge we learned and, and make that transformation just yet i think we have to unravel this whole monster um delay claims slowdowns productivity losses uh, all that kind of stuff and and that's going to be ugly it's going to be it's going to be ugly and complicated yeah thanks michael um and Chirag, did you want anything to add on top of that yeah well i'd say that people that make project successes that deliver the project success um most projects always need some type of recruitment and they're going to be looking for those that have got the extra qualifications that come what what is our what some people think the future is now the present you know bim 40 modeling um power bi things like that so if people are using this time to get that knowledge upskill uh i can plug michael LePage's planning academy here as well you know if you want to Get better with Primavera. Want to look at his uh, courses, um, and if you could do those things, that will help you to get a new job, but also will help with project success and delivery. So, one hundred percent should go for things like that. Brilliant, thanks, Shirag. Again, you know, some words of wisdom there for you, uh, Faz. Hopefully, um, that was a value. Uh, and we'll just quickly get take one from Scott. Scott's been waiting patiently. Scott, I appreciate you coming on the pod live and uh, sitting there. Uh, would you like to ask the question and? Uh, directed to anyone on the panel sure yeah thank you for the opportunity and it was great to hear the debates and um, lots of different opinions very very well received so so thanks for the thanks for this um, so my question is um what is your view on artificial intelligence which is probably being well debated in the first half of the session um, and the second half is how do you think it will affect the project management profession good question and who did you want to answer that one for you uh, and i think um yeah Possibly, um, Al, can maybe have a go at that? Um, yeah, so what's my view on AI? Um, 
I'm perhaps being a bit contrary to the <laughs> position I took on their green team earlier. AI has a place, but I think we're, as a comment who, who a fellow panelist said it earlier on, we're not there yet with AI. Um, it needs to mature more and it needs to be in the place where we can start to trust it. Um, so I think it's, it's time will come. Um, but not at the expense of human intellect. I, don't, I can't see a point at any point in, in, in my personal future and perhaps in the next generation or two beyond that where we're, we're trusting AI to, to make the decisions in the complex, agile, and, and ambiguous space that we operate in. Um, and uh, second part of your question was, how do you think it will affect project management profession? I think we'll start to see a shift in... Uh, the roles and the experiences and and the skills in project management towards more data driven, more analytics driven uh, understanding. Um, but fundamentally, at the core, project management has been said a number of times is a people based process, and it's the brain, it's the it's the agile decision making that you have between your ears that will make a project and a team successful. So I don't see that being fundamentally different anytime soon. Great. Thanks, Al. And I'm, I'm letting, this is open to the panel, so if anyone else wants to chime in um, and add a few comments to Scott's question, uh, just raise your hand and I'll I'll point it to you. Alberto, go for it. Yeah, so look, uh, artificial intelligence has been a topic, you know, that have been arguing for the last year with different people. And, and I'm invited in planning, and to be honest, I don't, I'm not sure whether I'm the right person to go because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only was a little bit worried about this. And what, what I feel about, you know, when, you, when you're working in planning, it's just about collaboration. So, I'm, so I think that the best projects in my life are the one that you, you get in the room and you get the best, you know, project managers, construction managers, project engineers, you know, process engineers, electrical engineering, you know, cost estimators, and you get all together and then you start to put all the ideas on the table and then to challenge people and say, well, why don't we go in this way? And then you have an estimator and say, this is going to be more expensive. And then you have, you know, the process engineer say, but if we do it this way, we can pre-commission the plan quicker. So, and, and that's really the way for me to, to have a you know, successful project. It's just a collaboration. My worry about, you know, artificial intelligence, they start to replace all this, you know, process where you have everybody together and, you know, and, and they start to get more into, well, but, the, you know, this magic machine where you put everything and just telling me that you know you know this is going to take six weeks to do and and it's not four or or maybe you know you think that you can do it in four or on two so you know you can even do it quicker you know so and so that, i think that's that's really just the, the, the dangerous and and we need to keep in mind that what is artificial intelligence it's really just uh, you know uh, sums you know it's a tool that it, it helps you just to to come up with some kind of option that is based on historical data. So and then if, if we go back to, you know, the project that I work in, in Iraq or Uzbekistan, so what AI are you going to use when you don't have any historical information for a project in Iraq? Or when do you have any information for a project in Uzbekistan? So, you know, it's these sort of things that, you know, that's where you really need to have the collaboration. You know, again, for me, planning is just about collaboration, having the right people, the right SME in the room, just to, to challenge the plan, you know, in the end of the day, you know, it has to be coming from people with experience. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and I might just chime in there, Scott, because AI is close to my heart, I guess. Um, 
you know, I think I think Andy put it well in one of the previous debates uh, topics. Is it's it's just it's it's going to help us. It's not going to change anything in terms of how project management works because there's a, a fundamental human effort that's involved in project managing. It's a people thing, um, but it certainly will be part of the arsenal, part of the toolkit, and um, it'll be on your utility belt if you like Batman. Um, and it will enhance our abilities to make informed decisions, which is what we want. We want project managers, and we said it before, didn't we? We, we all kind of nodded when we said, you know, the project management profession needs help. You know, they need support, they need development, they need education. I think AI is going to help enhance their ability to run multiple scenarios, um, really test themselves, challenge themselves if they're open to it. Not every project manager likes that, but I think it will enhance the ability to what we used to call, I think if they all remember, you know, the, the shit test, you know, the BS um, even before they get to that month-end review um, where they waffle on for an hour and you, you leave the room and you say, what was that about? Um, you know, it's going to stop that from happening. So hopefully we see a more effective project management profession because of AI. And, and when I mean AI, I mean machine learning. I, you know, I kind of avoid the word artificial intelligence, one that scares people off, but it's not true AI because it's not, it's not prescriptive and predictive as yet. It's kind of learning from historical patterns and then providing some sort of algorithm to project the future. That's, that's kind of a really basic version of it. So machine learning is probably a more appropriate um, term. Right, uh, Scott, again, some more food for thought. Hopefully that, that helped answer your question. Faz and Scott, it's been great to have you on the show and uh, hopefully you continue to listen. Um, you got all of season one wrapped up uh, in one pod, which is great, and you managed to sit through it without uh, falling asleep. So I appreciate you guys being here. Um, and uh, what I'll do now is I will hand over to Mr. Dale. Dale, it's all yours. Brilliant. Thanks, Val. Wow. What a podcast. I mean, you know, we've had many debates with a lot of experienced people before, um, but this panel in front of us is amazing. And the best part about it, we've recorded this for everyone to hear. It's not just in a room stuck there and going nowhere. People can take these views and apply it to their projects. And there's no, you know, it's not black and white. Um, They can take the bits that work for them and use that there and you're getting it from experienced people so thank you very much um i just want to quickly wrap up um everyone wants to know who won the debate um <laughs> so because i gold yeah well because i've got the uh uh responsibility i guess of wrapping up the pod i'll, I'll give you my my uh, judgment uh so more automation and ai is needed was the first topic um and for me that was really a draw um, because it depends. It depends on your project. It depends on where you're at. Because if you if you're not using any automation, and you're not you don't have smooth processes, yes, you need more. But if you're using it all, and your uh, everyone using it, um, your stakeholders don't understand it, then maybe you don't need more. So for me, that de- it depends. And I think the you know the jury's still out there. Um, we had amazing debates on that, and um, so that one's a draw. Uh, however, um, for me, the second topic about TPM is not outdated. For me, it was gold. Um, so I didn't hear anything compelling to say that it is outdated. I heard arguments that they certainly need to evolve. But as a core principle, CPM is still valid. It's still in use. It's not going to go away. Um, but yes, certainly needs to evolve. So, so for me, gold takes it uh, overall. Um, so there we have it. That, that's my take. Agree with it or not, 
Uh, <laughs> there it is. Anyway, without further ado, and, and uh, you know, conscious of time, I just want to go back to each one of the guests uh, just for a final sentence or two. So, in the order that I've got it here, Al. Clearly, you got the, uh, the the result of the second debate wrong. But apart from that, no, thank you. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, meet everyone and, and join the conversation. So, thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for joining us. Chirag, any final words from you? Uh, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Uh, a lot of food for thought, a lot of insights, uh, people listening in. Um, so, definitely, I'd urge everyone to listen. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Chirag. Paul, Paul Gooch. Uh, well, it's reassuring to see that uh, Al's tenuous grasp in reality hasn't been uh, lost over the years. Um, I, <laughs> I think, <clears throat> I think um, just trying to step back, now what's the meta message for me from all of this? Well, let me go and look at projects. I think one of the many things we often find that's going slightly wrong with them is that they just keep on building on stuff and building in stuff. So they've got a bunch of reports, and they have a bunch more reports, they have a bunch more reports, they have reports about the reports a bunch of meetings, a bunch more meetings, have a bunch of meetings about the meetings they're having. When you look at organisations, you kind of see the same. You start a project or a programme and you start another one. You don't really see very effective portfolio management. You just keep on layering on stuff and wonder why you're not getting anywhere particularly fast. But I think the meta concern for me from this debate is that as a profession, as a P3M profession, we've talked about a bunch of things that we could possibly be adding into it to help. I just hope we don't go down that same path if my crude analysis is correct, that we just keep on layering on stuff and we lose sight of what the essence is. And I think in part of the last discussion we've had, and thanks to the two guys for staying on the call and asking those questions, we kept coming back to the human element. We shouldn't lose sight of that. And let's just remind ourselves what the, the essence of good and effective project program and portfolio management is. Let's not layer too much in and lose sight of that. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Paul. Michael, any final thoughts from yourself? Um, no, I don't have too much to add. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, I found this really, really an enjoyable debate and uh, really enjoyed, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed meeting you guys all. And I feel like my network expanded about six times uh, just hanging out with you guys all. And, uh, you know, thanks to Scott and Faz for, for being here and uh, asking some very thoughtful questions as well. It's been a great experience. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Michael. Alberto, how about you? Any final thoughts? Well, the, the, what, it, what is interesting for me is just to, uh, we always need to look at the two sides of the coin. If you work in project management, you need to be quiet and listen to different point of view. Um, whether you are against or you are in favor of something, you know, as part of a good project manager just to listen you know you will be surprised you know how how good ideas sometimes come from people that you wouldn't expect you know sometimes i was a little bit like hmm, i think the green guys are right and then i'm like hmm. you know so that does does something good you know that, that you start to learn just to see the two sides of the coin so that's important for us brilliant thanks very much alberto and bringing up the rear but not last uh, andy <laughs> like the others i found this really enjoyable really valuable um alberto made a, a good point there i mean you know being asked to argue against your own beliefs as part of a debate is is a difficult thing to do but a valuable thing you know really sort of makes you think about a topic from a different perspective which i found quite a quite a quite a, um, quite a useful exercise um and the other comment i make i think paul uh, mentioned you know our, our profession is about three things it's about people process and technology and 
today's debates have been about process and technology. And I think it's important we don't forget that, first and foremost, it's a people business. Uh, and, and the other two are there to serve to serve that. So uh, very, very useful topics, but um, uh, obviously not the whole story of what we're doing. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Andy. Uh, and last and least, Val? <laughs> Oh, I'm just humbled to be in the presence of, of such industry knowledge and experience. Um, and there's reassurance there as well as, you know, um, we've all kind of talked about people again, which again is is refreshing and and I love to hear it because there needs to be more of it. Um, we need, there needs to be more moral leadership. And, and what I mean by moral leadership is providing values and meaning for people to live by and inspiration to act, motivation to hold oneself accountable. We need these types of models and role models within organizations to help projects succeed because people deliver successful projects um other than that i thought it was great to have some um some live entertainment and to have some some guest speakers as well as um our our uh, our subscribers there scott and faz it was great to have you on board um really appreciate uh, you following us and uh yeah looking forward to more of these this was definitely fun brilliant thanks very much val i i echo all your sentiments there um and that's it folks that's all we have time for in this episode what an episode amazing time spent with everyone and um if you want to continue the conversation um and have more fun subscribe on our website uh, you can join our online community with val myself and all of our guests uh, for more information blogs previous podcasts check out projectchatterpodcast.com a massive, massive thank you to our guests for rejoining us from season one. Go back, have a listen to their, their individual episodes. You'll have a lot of uh, fun and, and learn a lot from listening to what they have to say. Thanks as always to Val. Thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive and have fun doing it. Bye for now. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.